listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. And we have an awesome... Uh, awesome pastor. I'm sorry you got the short end of the stick today, though, all right? <laughs> now, we're going to have a great time. Hey, if y'all would, pray with me, and we're going to dive in to God's Word. Jesus, we, we love you. I mean, thank you for that, that truth that our story is really to tell your story <laughs> and to tell the story of grace. And Lord, we ask that this morning, if there's someone that doesn't know you, that your story will become their story this morning. And God, we pray that as we open your word, that you would just speak powerfully to us. And hey, with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, if you would, just just ask God to speak to you this morning. If you would, also ask that uh, he would use me this morning. God, we love you. Thank you for this great church, and thank you for your word that we get to feast on. It's your name we pray. Amen. So uh, a lot of y'all know my wife and I have twins. They're, they'll be two in February, and just, I'm going to have a dad moment since I don't get to see a lot of y'all very often. You don't get to see my family very often. Here's a picture of our, my wife and kiddos, and uh, that's Carolina Tate on the far left and Haddon there in the middle. Pretty much all he wants to do these days is just football, football. That's, uh, that's what he does or likes to hold. He, thanks for putting that up, guys. Um, and uh, by the way, this is kind of random, but I covet your prayers. So today, like at 425, we're getting, the four of us are getting on a plane to fly to Jacksonville, Florida to go visit family there. And so uh, I would covet your prayers about that time, because as you know, getting on a plane with babies is exciting, but also rather terrifying, <laughs> especially when you got twins. They're always like, oh, Oh, there's two of them. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Good. Um, no, so I cover your prayers there. But, man, there's, there are a lot of fun things going on with them right now. Uh, but to tell you a little bit about them. So they each have their favorite stuffed animal. So for Carolina Tate, our little girl, her favorite is her bunny. It's this bunny that it looks disgusting because it is well-loved. Like, it, it smells bad. She's always, like, trying to get me to see if I want to hold it. And I'm like, I don't want to get the flu, so I'm not going to take that. No, she doesn't have the flu. But it's just, it's kind of disgusting. And then Haddon, his favorite stuffed animal is a duck. It's this little fluffy yellow duck that, man, does he love that thing. Um, And so they will carry them everywhere. And Carolina Tate, it's like occasionally, just randomly, it'll hit her that she doesn't have her bunny. And it's the world stops until bunny is found. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all have been there before. Well, we also have a, a Golden Retriever, a dog. His name is Duval. He's about seven years old. And he, I think it's just to get attention, but he will occasionally take their stuffed animals. (laughs) Now, they've been sewed and repaired several times (laughs) because of that. But it's funny because they love Duval. They call Duval Doodal. But they they love Doodal, and they'll they'll pet him, and and they like to be near Duval, and life is good, and they're dancing around and happy. But the second that he takes their stuffed animal, oh, it's over. (laughs) Like, life itself is over. I even see one of their babysitters in here, and like she'll vouch, man, they fall to the floor. There's, there's crying, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, 
And it just turns on a dime. It's like one minute I've got Bunny, not me, but Carolina Tate's got Bunny and she's good. And the second Duval takes Bunny, life is over. <laughs> um, as goofy as that is, we feel that way sometimes, don't we? Hopefully not about your stuffed animal, but if you're young enough, we'll let it slide in here. Um, but everything's fine. Everything's going well. And it can seem like in an instance, or in an instant, excuse me, everything changes. You know what I'm talking about? Where you go from life's cruising and good and going, honestly, kind of how you want it to. And it seems like that, it can just fall apart. Now, if there was a man who ever knew something about that, it was the man Job. Right? Speaking of Job, turn to the book of Job with me if you've got your Bible. I hope you do. Um, now, I know what you're thinking as we're turning to Job. You're thinking, we got this young whippersnapper in here, and he does not know that it is December 15th, and he is supposed to be preaching a Christmas sermon. <laughs> I know what you're thinking, right? <laughs> well, I, I want to I promise you, um, we're going to talk about Christmas. I, like Pastor David, believe um, that ultimately all of Scripture points us to who? To Jesus. Amen. And so this morning, we're going to look at the story of Job. And just to be honest with you, we're going to look at it in this entirety. Don't let that scare you. We're going to kind of do like a 30,000 foot flyover. <laughs> a man in the last, after the last service said, man, I love that sermon. He said, you lied though. That was more like a 35,000 foot flyover. And you uh, slammed on the brakes at the end. I was like... That's why I get to practice it a second time. <laughs> um, no, we're gonna, I'm gonna, I've even trimmed a little bit, so we're not going to have to rush at the end, Lord willing. Um, but yeah, we're going to, let me say this too, that said. So I, I really do believe that you, you should slowly, methodically, and with meditation, read through the book of Job. That's, that's what I, for my quiet time in November, that's what I was doing. Um, but I also think because it's one story, it's helpful to occasionally look at it in one sitting to see the big picture. Because if you just dive into one random chapter of Job, you're liable to be really depressed. <laughs> and so we want to look at the whole story this morning. Are you all with me? All right. I know you guys were up for the task. It's going to be a great time. It's an amazing, amazing story. So we're going to jump in in Job chapter 1. And we're going to read a lot up front, and then we'll kind of skim as we go. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. Now, all those livestock, first of all, Job would have been a good Texan, right? Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> But what, being Texans, uh, I'm kind of included. I've been here like in Texas about 12 years, so I'm going to guess lump, I'm an adopted, okay? Adopted Texan. Being Texans, we know all that livestock shows that Job was what? Wealthy. This man had some dough. He, he was rich, right? Um, dough, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it says he was the greatest of all the people of the East. And then it, verses, I'm going to summarize this again because I'm, I'm on a clock here this morning. Uh, but verses 4 through um, 5, it just shows us that talks about his family, what an amazing family he had. And that even though they were godly family, Job uh, would often go and make a, a, an offering for his family because he would say, just in case my family sinned, I, I'm going to offer this offering to God. 
So Job was a godly man, amen? <laughs> Cared about his family. Verse six, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, I really thought about doing a Satan voice, but I just don't know what it sounds like, so I'm just going to read it normal. I'm sorry. <laughs> My wife, I don't want to embarrass her. <laughs> Too late. All right. He said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Man, I don't know exactly what's going on there, but it seems like God is, is bragging on his boy Job. And he's kind of digging at Satan, right? Like this is the super proud dad moment of just going, he's saying, man, look at my boy Job. He loves me. He worships me. Verse 9, Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. He's saying, God, Job only worships you because you're so good to him. He only loves you because you've shown him so much love. Let me mess with his stuff and he won't worship you. Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, what do we know happened after that? Job lost what? Lost everything. And if I remember like in, in a day, man, I visit folks in the hospitals and talking with y'all, so many people go through so much hardship, and sometimes it seems like it, when it rains, it pours. I like, can't catch a break. But, but this is, a, it, honestly, it seems like it's at a whole new level to lose your family, to, you, to lose all your possessions in one day. But look at verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robes, as after he's lost everything, and shaved his head and fell on the ground, and what did he do? He worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job didn't sin or, char or charge God with wrong. Man, talk about a man of integrity. <laughs> and not, I want to be clear here, not just like he's a rule follower, he's a goody two-shoe. I think if you're just all about the rules, you're not going to respond this way. I think to respond this way requires a deep faith and a deep love for God <laughs> to respond in a trial like that. It's incredible. But it's, not, it's just kind of the beginning. <laughs> Chapter two, we find that again, uh, Satan comes before God and God asks him where he's been. He says, up and down on the earth. And God again says, hey, have you thought about my servant Job? Man, he loves me. He worships me. And even though I took everything away from him, he still worships me, Satan. So what do you have to say about that? Verse four of chapter two. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, 
Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot, excuse me, to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. That's real encouraging. (laughs) But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this, Job didn't sin with his lips. Man, again, this is a godly man. This is a God-fearing man, <laughs> man of integrity. Now it says that in verses 11 through 13, we see that um, some of Job's friends heard about what had happened to Job. And so they made an appointment to go and to comfort him, which is what good friends do. Amen. When you're in difficult time, when you're hurting, good friends. That's one thing I love about Southcrest is I was talking with a man uh, after the last service and he was saying, and by the way, if this wasn't your, this not been your experience, I hope we can change that in the future. Um, but he said that, oh, by the way, if this man's also in a small group, that helps, but don't want to go on a rabbit. <laughs> He, uh, he said that when he was in the hospital, about 80 people from Southcrest, not at once, <laughs> that would be overwhelming, but 80 people made their way in to visit him while he was in the hospital. Man, by the way, if you're visiting this morning, it's a good reason to come to Southcrest. <laughs> That's what good friends do. They come and visit you. And it says that they sat there for seven days and seven nights and no one said a word. When they got to Job, so they didn't even recognize him. He was so disfigured by the sores. Job eventually, after seven days, broke the silence. We see in chapter three, he he basically, just to give you an example of what he says in chapter three, look at verse 11. He says, why did I not die at birth? He said, why would God even give me life if this is the life God is going to give me? If he's going to just put his hand on me to break me, why has God even allowed me to live? Verse 26 of chapter 3, he says, I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. He can't get comfortable. So he's lost everything. He's in pain. And now he sounds like he's what? Depressed. Down, right? Which is fair. That's fair. No one would judge him for that. You shouldn't. You know, one thing Pastor David has taught me and has taught our staff is when people are going through a hardship, when they're going through a trial, the best thing to do is what? Just listen and be there. If I'm honest, confession as a, as a young buck, I feel like I've grown on this a little bit, mainly because of, of Pastor David counseling us, but my instinct is to want to fix it and to want to explain it away. And well, theologically, the Bible says this, and Pastor David has reminded me so many times, zip it, just don't say anything. Just be there, just listen. Maybe give him a hug, cry with him. Don't fake it, but if your spirit is moved to cry, cry with him. But just be quiet. (laughs) Because when you start talking in those situations, you normally do more harm. Well, guess what Job's friends decided to do? (laughs) Start talking. (laughs) They couldn't stand it. 
Especially, how dare Job complain against God? Oh man, they're not going to allow that. So before we dig in, let me tell you this. Starting here in chapter 4, really through like chapter 37-ish, somewhere in there, there's this cycle between Job and his, quote, friends, (laughs) of going back and forth of an argument. And often, me included, often people will say, man, it's just so confusing, and I can't really follow the line of thought. And I think it appears that way because it's actually really simple. It's really essentially Job's friend saying, God is just, God is right. And then Job saying, man, it seems like God is being so unfair. And then Job's friend saying, you're a sinner, you're messed up. That's why you're suffering. You should just repent. And then Job saying, but I haven't really done anything. I'm not perfect, but I haven't really done anything, so I don't know what to repent of. And them saying, you're even worse than we thought. You should repent. And just over and over and over again, this cycle. Does that make sense? And so when you read it, again, I highly encourage you to read it. Think about what's put before you, but that's kind of the gist of what's presented through the bulk of Job. And there's some really fun stuff and also like depressing stuff to read in there. But just to give you an example, I want to, so I told you we're going to take the 30,000 foot flight. So we're going to, we're going to take off now. We've been kind of doing the runway. We're going to take off now. I'm going to guide you through it like you're pilot, I guess. Anyways, (laughs) Um, chapter four, verse seven, look what the first friend to speak up. Look at what he says. Remember who that was innocent ever perished or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. What is he accused? What is he saying to Job? Saying, you've sinned, right? You've sinned. So what you sow, you, did I say that right? You reap what you sow? Yeah, okay. Sorry. He's saying, Job, sounds to me like you've sinned. Flip over to chapter 9, verse 1. Between there and here, where we're at in chapter 9, Job's friend, Job's spoken some too, but his friends have been saying, Job, the wicked cannot stand before God. The sinful cannot stand before God. So clearly, because of your situation in life, it proves that you're wicked, that you've sinned. Chapter 9, Job answered and said, Truly I know that it is so. He's saying, you're not telling me anything I don't know. I know that people who stand against God, the wicked, ultimately can't stand before God. But he says, then verse 2, How can a man be in the right before God? So he's saying, no one can stand. No one is good before God. That's good theology. (laughs) He's saying no one is ultimately and truly 100% right before God. We're all messed up. (laughs) He's right. Look at chapter 11. Job goes on. Again, his friends kind of jump in there too. But Job goes on and basically says like, while I'm not perfect, I've been pursuing God. I don't know what I've done wrong. Like, God, why am I suffering like this? Why am I experiencing this? And in chapter 11, his friend Zophar decides to get in on the action. He says, should a multitude of words go unanswered and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men and when you mock, shall no one shame you? For you say, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. For he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you 
less than your guilt deserves. You know what Zophar was saying in verse 6 of chapter 11 there? He's saying, Joe, you're so evil, God should be even doing more harm to you. How's that for an encouraging friend? He said, man, you got, you got off easy. In chapter 12, Job begins to get a little sarcastic, not that we ever would. <laughs> chapter 12, verse 1, Job answered and said, no doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> no doubt, you, no one has ever been as wise as you. When you die, all of wisdom will perish. <laughs> He's being sarcastic. He says, listen, verse 3, I have understanding as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Who doesn't know these things? He's saying, I know that repentance leads to restoration. But I'm telling you guys, I don't know what I've done. Like you keep saying, I've done all these sinful things. I know I'm a sinner, but I really have been pursuing God and walking with him. I don't know what you want me to repent of. But I love it. As frustrated as he is, Look at chapter 13, verse 15. This is an incredible verse. Look at Job's attitude here. He says, again, 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. (laughs) Do you see the honesty of Job? But more than that, I think you could even describe this as the tension between faith and fire, the faith of even in the hardship, even in the trial, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to have faith. But the fire being, but I'm still going to tell God how I feel. (laughs) I'm still going to argue with him and say, God, what is going on? You can be real with God. You know that? (laughs) Job's being, he wants to be real with God, but his friends (laughs) they're just stuck in this rut of, Job, you can say what you want, but we know you're just a sinner. You just need to repent. (laughs) Look at verse, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 20. Eliphaz jumps in again on accusing Job. Verse 20 of chapter 15, he says, the wicked man rise in pain all his days through all the years that are laid up for the ruthless. He says, it's simple, Job. You just need to repent. (laughs) So I love in chapter 16, Job's response. I'm I'm pretty sure we've all felt this when someone's been not very helpful, helpful trying to encourage us. Chapter 16, Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. (laughs) You guys are killing me. It's what he's saying. You're killing me. Now let me ask. Are you seeing the pattern? <laughs> Do you see it? This pattern of them accusing him and him saying, I don't know what you want me to do. And him hoping God would intervene and speak to him and them accusing him some more. Had to be terribly frustrating. Terribly frustrating. I, I again, I, I told you I had to trim a little because I don't want to rush the end. If you keep skimming through uh, the next, even like I'm looking at chapter 21 now, it's just that same pattern. Again, it's worth reading. It's worth studying. But for today's time, I don't have time to read and go through all of it. But uh, again, it's, it's God even asking, like, God, if you're going to treat me this way, why am I even pursuing you? Like, what's going on? Which, by the way, let's not lie. We've all felt that way before. 
Like, God, if you're not going to intervene in my life, if, if the people who are doing evil and don't even believe you exist, if their life is better than mine, why am I pursuing you? Don't act like you haven't ever thought that. <laughs> Job felt it. Chapter 22, man, again, Eliphaz just tells him, just repent, just, just agree with God and be at peace. And at chapters 23 through 28, I would say, Job basically says, guys, I've been trying to talk with God and figure out what's going on, but I'll put it in modern terms. <laughs> I'm texting him and he's not texting back. <laughs> I'm giving him some calls and he must have caller ID and he's blocked me <laughs> because he's not responding. So he grows in frustration. And in chapter 29, he, he finally kind of gives, you could call it his closing statement, his closing remarks. <laughs> And if you, if you read chapters 29 through 31, it's, it's Job. He kind of tells this story of saying, I've lost absolutely everything. I don't know why I'm suffering this way. Y'all are all saying it's because I'm a sinner. It's because I've sinned. I just need to repent of something. But I'm telling you guys, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm a sinner, but I've been walking with God. I've been pursuing him. Was Job telling the truth? Yes. Yeah, for sure. If you look back to chapter one, he was blameless and upright. If the Bible calls you blameless and upright, I'm not arguing with that. <laughs> this, he, was a, he was a godly, dare I say, good man. We know he wasn't good as in like perfect, but he, this was a solid dude. Like if Job was here, we'd be like, man, Job is a godly, righteous man in our church. <laughs> I think we might make him a deacon even. Like this, this is a solid guy. So the problem with Job's friends, again, friends, <laughs> really, you can say two things. One, they have too small of a view of God. Meaning, let me say it this way. Yes, for sure, God has ordered the world in a certain way. And um, living a certain way typically produces a certain outcome. Does that make sense? I guess well, I think that's why the book of Proverbs exists. Because when you do things God's way, when you follow the, the cookbook's instructions, the recipe turns out pretty good, right? But God is bigger than that. He's not locked into anything. They have this small view of God that says, well, if you're suffering, you must have sinned. <laughs> so they have a really, you could even say a small view of suffering. It's called, a, like the, the bigger theological word would be punitive suffering. The idea that all suffering is a result of sin. Clearly, it's not. Because we know we, the friends don't have, and nor Job, have what we have in the narrator telling us what happened at the beginning of Job. So clearly, not all sin, excuse me, not all suffering is because like, oh, I did something bad, now I deserve it. You with me? Just to be clear, I fucking need to say this. In one hand, all of suffering in the world is a result of Genesis 3 sin, Right? <laughs> The world is broken because of sin. But just because I experienced something hard in my life doesn't mean God is getting payback on me. <laughs> and that's what his friends thought. Does that make sense? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> the end of chapter 31, I told you it was kind of his closing statement. Look at the very last verse 
of chapter 31 says, the words of Job are ended. Job says, I'm throwing in the towel. <laughs> We've been going around. I'm tired of arguing. I'm throwing in the towel. We're done. Like nothing's getting any better. Nothing's improving. I'm throwing in the towel. Now, typically, I didn't get to watch them. I know there were some big boxing matches last night. Typically, when someone throws in the white towel, what does that mean? What's supposed to happen? They stop, right? The fight's over. No one punches anymore. Job is not so fortunate. Just when things couldn't get any worse and he throws in the towel, there's a young man named Elihu who's been sitting there taking all this in. Key, key focus here, young man. So he's, he's been respectful letting the older men speak. But he, chapter, uh, where am I at? Chapter 32 says he burned, I'm in a, kind of midway through verse two of chapter 32. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. And he burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer. So he says, all right, you older men couldn't figure this out, so now it's time for me to step up. Uh, we know this is not going to go well, right? <laughs> we're we're going to see if you, if you read uh, 32, the next few chapters that Elihu speaks, he adds nothing new to the argument, but he talks really big. <laughs> I even love, just for the sake of humor, I love in chapter 33, verses 6 through 7, he's getting ready to really unload what he thinks is all this explanation on Job. And he says, before I do it, behold, I am toward God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. You don't need to fear me. <laughs> He's saying, Job, look, man, I'm about to really astound you with some wisdom, but I'm just a man like you, so don't be scared. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Thank you, that's funny, yeah. That would be like, like I'll get to see my, uh, my dad here um, like I said, we're going, we're going to Florida tonight, so I'll get to see him this week. It would be like my dad going through a hard time and saying, Dad, look, I'm about to really drop some wisdom on you, but hey, I'm just a guy, so don't be scared of me. <laughs> I think my trip to Lubbock might happen, back to Lubbock might happen further or quicker than we planned. Right? Or I might get slapped, I don't know. And even, I'm thinking Job probably rolled, rolled his eyes. And then even in chapter 36, verse 4, <laughs> Elihu says, my words are true, they're not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. <laughs> also funny. You imagine him. And I'm 33, so even someone my age telling a grandparent, I, I am perfect in knowledge. <laughs> I can just hear my Mimi laughing right now. <laughs> you know, it's funny for us to think about Elihu and him uh, saying this and talking all big and bad to Job. It's funny for us, but you think it was funny for Job? No. <laughs> Man, he, he's at the lowest point he's ever been. His friends are essentially like, you could say, turn their back on him. Or maybe even like you could say, put their fist on him. And now this young punk is like digging into his wounds kind of metaphorically, just making it worse. <laughs> he's lost everything. He's in physical pain and without a doubt, mental and emotional pain and even spiritual pain. We could, we've seen all through Job, uh, as we skim along, he's, God, where are you? Where are you at? I just want to get, if I could just talk with you. And in the middle of that storm, just when Job needed 
you, well, I would say, just when, like, without a doubt, Job needed God to show up. Guess who showed up? God showed up. Chapter 38 says that then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. You ever been in what felt like a whirlwind and then all of a sudden God showed up and spoke to you? Maybe through his word, maybe through a friend, maybe through a message, maybe through a song. God showed up out of the whirlwind. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but we get occasionally, we get some dust storms in Lubbock. <laughs> Call them a, a haboob, I guess. But when that happened, sometime, I remember the first time it happened to Lauren and I, we'd only been here about a year, and I wasn't sure she was going to make it with me <laughs> in Texas. But we've been married about a year, I mean. And it was the October 17th storm. Y'all remember that? 2011? Oh, yeah. And, man, you, you couldn't see the house across the street. But just because the, you couldn't see the house across the street, did that mean it wasn't there? No. Just because you can't see God doesn't mean he's gone. Amen. God showed up in the whirlwind. I love this. Chapter 38, verse 2, talking to Job. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Don't you think Job probably, <clears throat> yes, sir, set up a little bit? He said, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, come on. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Look over to chapter, excuse me, verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Verse 33. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. What's the implied answer? No. Remember, this is God asking Job. God, can you tell Excuse me, Job, can you tell the lightning to come and show up at your front door like a little puppy would show up at your front door? And no, you can't. Do you, Job, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? The answer is no. no. Verse uh, 19 and 20, really 19 through 30 of chapter 39, God talks about animals and says, Job, did, did you make them? Did you give them their power, their might, their ability to fly? Chapter 40, the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am of small account. What am I going to answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job saying, all right, I've been talking a lot and I've had a lot of questions, but now that you're here, I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> Now, I don't have time because I want, I want to, you're still wondering how Job relates to Christmas, so I don't want to leave you hanging there. But in chapter 41, God begins to ask Job about this 
crazy big animal. It's the Leviathan. I personally, maybe you think I'm crazy. I think it was, I think it's a good chance it was a dinosaur. And if you're like, that's crazy. What's wrong with you? Just read through it. I don't know what else it would be, honestly. Um, anyways, uh, that's a side note for a later discussion. Meet me in the hospitality room. Just kidding. Um, but he, it's this crazy, huge animal. And Job, or God is telling Job, like, Job, you can't even tame or control or handle that animal that's on the earth. How are you going to understand or tame or control me? <laughs> it's a good question from God, right? I love verse 5 of chapter 41, talking about this huge beast. He says, will you play with him as with a bird or will you put him on a leash for your girls? <laughs> God has a sense of humor, right? It's like me saying I'm going to bring uh, home a lion on a leash for my kids. Like that's ridiculous, right? <laughs> so I can't do that. Verse 10, chapter 41 says, no one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who is first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Now, here's what I want you to see. In all of God's questions, he was actually making a statement, Right? We do, you do that with, I think that's how good teaching works is you ask good questions, you make people think, and then they know the answer. You don't have to tell them. <laughs> so Job, excuse me, God didn't answer Job's question of why, but he basically said, Job, you're not always going to understand me. You're not going to always understand your life, but Job, you can trust me because I'm trustworthy and I'm bigger and better than you could ever imagine. <laughs> it makes me think of Isaiah 55 where God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. <laughs> Again, just because, so first of all, question, was God there? Did God care? Did he see Job that entire time Job was in that storm? Yes. Just because it seems like God is silent doesn't mean that he's absent. I love Job's response, chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? <laughs> I've uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Here and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I think verse five is maybe the key to the story of Job or like a key, the key takeaway. He says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and self and repent and dust and ashes. How cool is that? Job says, God, I've heard of you and I thought I knew you, but now that you've showed up in my suffering, now I see you <laughs> at a whole new level. What did, God, what did God accomplish with Job's suffering? He took Job's faith to a deeper level by allowing Job to see him in a way he had never before. <laughs> Does God do that with us? 
Absolutely he does. That's why when you, if you say, well, what do you mean? Like he saw him and now he like has deeper faith. Job says, I, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. He says, God, now that I get a glimpse of you, like I realize I'm nothing, like I'm just gonna bow before you. <laughs> it's deep faith. On your uh, notes that you've been wondering, oh my gosh, we haven't written anything that, what is going on, Brandon? <laughs> I think here's, if I could maybe try to simply sum up the big idea of Job, we can put it on the screen. Suffering leads to seeing. Seeing leads to savoring. <laughs> Amen? Amen? When I'm in suffering, ultimately, as a child of God, God is going to show up. doesn't mean things are going to work out. Like, man, things worked out ultimately really well for Job. We may not experience that on earth, but in my suffering, ultimately, I'm going to get to see God in a way I haven't before. And, it, and when I see him and experience him at a deeper level, it's going to lead to savoring, meaning I'm going to delight and worship and enjoy God at a new level. <laughs> So the message of Job is not, hang in there, you'll be twice as rich, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> no, it's, even if I've lost everything, I may get to see God at a deeper level. I was talking with a, a coworker this week who's going through a lot of difficulty, and when she read that verse 5, she was like, man, which says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. She said, man, only our God can be that good. <laughs> that take a terrible tragedy and turn it into something beautiful where I, where I get to see him at a new level. So I want to encourage you real quick. If you're, I know at Christmas time, we're like, oh, everything's good. Everything's fine. Everybody's happy. Christmas time can be tough. <laughs> a lot of people, maybe it reminds them of hardship. Maybe you're missing loved ones this time of year. I want to encourage you to keep trusting, keep believing, keep holding on because suffering leads to seeing and seeing leads to savoring. And isn't that kind of the beauty of Christmas that the suffering of Jesus, he came as a baby to die, right? Born to die and suffer. The suffering of Jesus allows us to see God and because we get to see God and have a relationship with him, we get to enjoy and savor God. <laughs> That's kind of the point of Christmas, right? Now you're still, I'm watching the clock, I promise. We're, we're going we're gonna to land. I won't have to slam on brakes. We're going to be just fine. But you're still thinking, all right, you mentioned Christmas. Still not really a Christmas sermon. <laughs> Let me show you. You've got those four points down below on, on your handout if you have it. I want to show you four, quickly, we could probably even talk about more, but four ways that Job points us to Jesus. And really, I would say, in that, you could say to the celebration of Christmas. You with me? We're, this is where we're going to land and end. So the first one, and by the way, if you're, if you're trying to write quickly, just write the second sentence. So Job didn't suffer because of his sin, but Jesus did suffer because of our sin. <laughs> if you're going to write one, just write the second, the Jesus statement. Now listen, let's Let's read this again. <laughs> Job didn't suffer because of his sin. He didn't choose it. He just had to go through it. But Jesus did suffer because of our sin. 
Jesus, here's what Christmas reminds us, Jesus came, he chose to come to suffer, not because he had sinned, but because who had sinned? We had sinned. Amen? That's the gospel. (laughs) Jesus did suffer because of our sin. He didn't have to, but he did. So when you look at the baby in the manger, it should remind you of grace. (laughs) It should remind you that he chose to suffer even though he didn't have to. Second one, Job saw the one who holds it all together. Remember, God showed up. But Jesus is the one who holds it all together. (laughs) Man, that's good stuff. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus upholds the universe by the power of his word. So think about that. When you look at the baby, excuse me, (laughs) the baby in the manger, and you think about, I mean, obviously we're not really looking at it, but like when you think about the baby in the manger, that baby in the manger was the one who holds the universe together. <laughs> I don't know how and how this would work, but based on what Hebrews 1 says, so that, and I believe that even when Jesus was a little baby <laughs> in the manger, he was still holding the universe together. That's one powerful baby. <laughs> he holds it all together. Third thing, this one gets me excited. Job disproved his accuser, right? Satan kept saying, man, you hurt Job. He won't worship you anymore. Satan was wrong. Job showed him what was up, right? Job disproved his accuser, but Jesus crushed our accuser. (laughs) Amen? When we celebrate Christmas, when we think about Jesus coming as a baby, we can realize that sweet little baby Jesus destroyed Satan, like beat him up. Genesis 3 says he's the snake crusher. (laughs) Now, I know Satan's still roaming around doing his thing, but ultimately he is a defeated foe (laughs) because Jesus came to crush him. We may have an accuser, but we have an advocate, and his name is Jesus. (laughs) That's why I love what Job said, that he said, I know my Redeemer lives. I think that was a fast forward to Jesus. (laughs) One more. This is where we'll land. Number four, Job was faithful in suffering, but Jesus' suffering will end all suffering. Listen, because of the story of Jesus, one day there will be no more stories of Job. Are y'all looking forward to that? I know I am. Revelation 21 says there'll be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. Because of the story of Jesus, there's going to come a day where we'll say, you know what? I'm never going to have to be like Job again. That is worth celebrating. Job was faithful in suffering, but Jesus' faithfulness will end all suffering. Jesus is the true and better Job. The story of Job gives us hope. It does. That man, that God is not absent, even if he's silent. He's, I may get to see him in my suffering, which will lead to savoring. The story of Job gives us hope. But the story of Jesus is our hope. <laughs> it is our hope. And that's why Christmas is worth celebrating. We're going to enter a time of response. And um, if you're a believer, I just want to encourage you. If you're in the midst of suffering, to ask that God would help you to see him in the midst of that suffering. Maybe to pray for someone who is suffering. At the very least, as a believer, 
to just rejoice in who Jesus is as the true and better Job. If you're not a Christian this morning, I wanna encourage you to turn to Jesus for salvation, to realize that he did suffer for your sin, and that if you will repent from your sin and turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the one who does hold it all together, when you do that and believe in him, give him your life, scripture says that he'll save you. You can be a child of God. And like we sang this morning, your story will then become Jesus' story, which is awesome. So I'm going to pray for us, then we'll have some men that will be down here. And as we're singing this song, if you want to come to ask them a question or pray, they would love to pray with you or talk with you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the encouragement we find in Job. And Lord, more importantly, thank you for the story of Jesus. We celebrate this Christmas season. And I pray that as we respond right now, that you would move in our hearts. That we would, as believers, cling to you even in the midst of difficulty. And Lord, if there's people that don't know you, they would come to you for salvation today. It's your name we pray, amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of the venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to the Venue Podcast.